Good morning, church. As Kevin mentioned, my name is Todd Mulliken. I've known him for a long time. If you, you know, ever need any dirt on Kevin, just, you know, I got plenty of it for you. You're in great hands. He's such a wonderful uh, servant of Jesus and uh, is genuine and is a great friend. So I'm happy to pick up where he left off. We were on in Daniel 4 and talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, who back in the day was counting his money, wasn't he? He was feeling pretty prosperous and pretty full of himself, if you will. And Daniel interpreted a dream that wasn't very good news, as Kevin unpacked for you last week. And some of Nebuchadnezzar's reactions to that initially were still very pride-based, right? Very much, well, look what all I've done. Look at all this majesty that I've created. And it wasn't until afterwards where uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled where he really recognized that, you know, God was God and he wasn't, right? And so I've been asked to just talk a little bit about some of the roots of pride and what is, what is pride and what is humility and how do, how do we lean into humility in Christ and what does that look like for us? And I think, you know, pride biblically, when we speak from a biblical perspective of pride, we really see that uh, it's, it tends to be, C.S. Lewis said, is one of the most anti-God uh, traits that we can have, very powerfully said by C.S. Lewis. So I think when we're looking at biblical pride, what's happening for us is we're moving into that place of arrogance and self-reliance to the place that we kind of go, I got this, and we're good. Arrogance and that level of arrogance really leads a lot of folks into levels of narcissism, if you will. And narcissism is a, a buzzword we've used in the counseling field for at least 20 years now, even though it's been around forever. And I thought it'd be good to just look at what actually is that and what are the roots of arrogance and narcissism because we're not for that, right? How do we make sure that we stay clear of that? And believe it or not, these days we talk a lot about what it is and what it isn't, and really there are nine symptoms of it. And you might want to just take a, a check on these and see how they fit. It's about 5% lifetime prevalence, so even though we think a couple people in our family might have it or my spouse will have it on their worst day, really what is it and what, is it, what does that look like for us? So the first symptom is one of self-entitlement and embellishment. So we tend to embellish things. I know a, a friend of mine from way, way back, whenever we would play golf, we'd kind of check out the scores afterwards. And what he said he got, he didn't get. And that tended to happen. And he wanted to be acknowledged for the score that he really didn't get. So people that have narcissistic edges tend to bring the story back to them and tend to embellish. The second symptom is they can be preoccupied with fantasies of brilliance, of power. Nebuchadnezzar was there, right? and also beauty and ideal love. One of the books I wrote was actually on affairs, and sometimes folks that are vulnerable to that and get involved into, into that oftentimes can have a narcissistic edge where they feel like they've been preoccupied now with ideal love, whereas, of course, it isn't. The third symptom, which I think can resonate for us, is uh, kind of thinking, I got this and you just don't get this. Uh, I have the right perspective. You don't know what you're talking about. 
I'm rather special and they're there. <laughs> so we really have to watch for that one. The fourth symptom is an excessive need to be admired. I've often said people that have arrogance, their capacity to love is not as great as their need to be loved. And so what excessive, sure, we all like to be admired, right? It feels good, and that's okay. But an excessive need to be admired means that my spouse might say nice things to me today, and then one thing that he or she said was hard for me, I'm just, I'm just all over that. I can't believe they said that. That is unacceptable. I can't believe this is happening to me. And we're just defined by that moment versus the whole day. So some of us have a hole in there where our need to be acknowledged is greater than our capacity to love. The fifth symptom is a sense of entitlement. Um, this one keeps me busy over the holidays as a counselor where people have a sense of entitlement so they expect automatic compliance to their wishes and extra favorable treatment. So people that have these issues of arrogance tend to make demands, not requests. We are doing Christmas at this time, and these are the expectations. And if you don't come, you are disowned from the family. Just kidding, but there's like a rigidity, right? This is just what we do, and this is the way we do things. Versus, hey, we'd love to see you and what works, and we're all in this together. So this entitlement comes with an expectation of compliance by the other person. The sixth symptom is very, and remember when we're talking about anything with pride and arrogance, everything's on a continuum, right? Where I could have a mild trait of one of these nine, or I could have all nine, or I can be kind of in the middle. So the sixth symptom is they will exploit others. And that can be as mild, if you will, of, of somebody that just kind of wants to get their way. And I think we can all kind of raise our hands to that one, right? We, at the end of the day, we just kind of want to get our way all the way to somebody really intentionally exploiting, manipulating, kind of on that sociopath train. The seventh symptom is probably the biggest one, the challenge that I think is important for us as believers to really guard against, and it's the lack of willingness or capacity to empathize. And the older I get, the more I think empathy is, is one of the best traits we can lean into and pray about and pray for. Uh, it crushes narcissism. It crushes codependency. It's so Christ-like because it comes from our place of contentment in Jesus and bringing that towards somebody else. So people that have arrogance just don't know how to spell the word empathy. The eighth symptom is they, uh, they are jealous of others. But ready for the second part of the eighth symptom is they think others are jealous of them. So if you're in the mirror one day and thinking of the 15 people that you think are jealous of you, you might want to give me a call. Just kidding. <laughs> so I don't think many of us do that, right? And then the ninth symptom that really sums it up perfectly, that's really a challenge, I think, for us believers is to make sure is that we have an arrogant and haughty attitude. So, and, you know, you don't need me to tell you who Christ got the most upset with through his life, right, through his ministry. It was the religious leaders who thought they had it going. So, nine symptoms. 
And I would say to you very quickly, like the roots of arrogance can be one of, of these two setups, typically. One setup is a child that grows up always getting what they want when they want it. And the parent says, you know, when they do poorly on a test, you know, that was your teacher's fault. Or, that eh, it really wasn't your fault. Versus, no, you needed to study harder. Or they didn't make the choir their senior year. Well, you were just, it was all political and, you know, you should have got it and it's, it's your choir director's fault. Maybe, or maybe they just, their voice wasn't good enough. So sometimes you see in, I know my wife and I have worked in a couple of faith communities in our story, and one time we were doing a lot of overview of uh, high schoolers and love that work and really enjoy it. And once in a while you'd see a group of, of a few of them where they kind of felt like they were in the, in the in group and nobody else really understood them. And so the rules of showing up at the house at a certain time and leaving at a certain time didn't apply to them their own rules. Well, it doesn't mean every one of those kids turned into a narcissist, but every one of those kids probably have a little dose of entitlement and where could that lead them? So sometimes folks can develop arrogance by just growing up, getting what they want when they want it. And then just keep doing that. But I think the other thing we need to remember, especially when we're walking alongside somebody who is struggling with arrogance is sometimes people grow up in a system where they were shamed and bullied and told they weren't enough ever, ever, ever. And now they're coming out in this new season of life going, I'm never losing a fight to my spouse. I'm always going to be right as a parent. I'm, and they kind of bully. They were bullied. Now they're bullying. So sometimes those folks will need to do the work of not as much being less entitled, but realizing, hey, you are loved with exactly how Jesus made you. And now receive that love so that you can love well versus operating out of that insecurity and deep pain that you were bullied and now you're bullying. So I think with arrogance and with all the things that Nebuchadnezzar was battling, because he was saying, hey, look at all that I've done. This is what I've done. This is all my work. It's all about me, and I'm happy that I've done this. I think that's one piece of pride that we all have to watch for. But let me offer another perspective or another thing, and I think this resonates more a little bit my own story, is sometimes I think pride can come in a way where you and I are seeking external validation for all that we do. Does that make any sense? Where it's those of us that are just keeping peace versus making peace. It's those of us that are, you know, I just want to, you know, I, I just want to be acknowledged for what I did. I did a nice thing. Why aren't they saying thank you for the gift? Or as I... In, in this situation, and I, that person didn't really say what I thought they would say to me, or, I, God, I was kind of frustrated that they didn't acknowledge the good work I did. And I think there can be a deep sense of pride about that, where my motive, our motive, is really one to be validated <laughs> versus knowing that we're enough in Christ and 
our giving is out of not a need to be acknowledged, but out of a place of servitude, right? And the goodness of God that we're pouring out. So I think that's the one that sneaks in there. And I think the dilemma there for us that have that battle is what I call, uh, it's easy to develop a resentment bank account. Where if we are in a situation where we're feeling frustrated that this person didn't acknowledge us, instead of saying, hey, I was really hurt by what happened, we go over and start this resentment bank and put a few bucks in there. And that slowly builds over time. And then we end up getting upset in an overreaction in a way that really isn't fair to that person. And it's really more on us and our own issues of resentment that we've built up over time. So I think that's another way that pride can sneak in is not as much the arrogance side that we're talking about with narcissism and probably the things that Nebuchadnezzar battled, but I also think there's another piece that can sneak in there where we are very vulnerable to always seeking to be validated by somebody else. And when we're not, we have pride and frustration with that. And we feel like we deserve that. And if I don't receive that, then that's on them. So maybe ask yourself, what do you see in your story? Do you see any tendencies towards one or the other? What do you notice with that in your world? You know, when we think of the root cause of that external validation, you know, I mentioned earlier the root cause of the arrogance can be either from an entitled upbringing or an upbringing that uh, had a lot of shame and being bullied, or somewhere in between, of course. It's not always one or the other. But I think for that external validation thing, most of the time when I've seen it in my practice, it's, it's this um, child develop wanting to keep peace in a situation where there wasn't much peace and so they end up growing up too quick and they go in there and want to make peace and then some of their identity comes in making peace but it's really more about keeping peace versus actually making peace. Jesus said, he didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, he said blessed are the peacemakers. So sometimes those folks are looking for that validation they never received because one or both parents were just, you know, in their own chaos of marriage or whatever, just lacked the chops to be able to give that. So that child grows up and then has that internal need and doesn't realize they have and receive that from God, but they want it from others. And so oftentimes I've seen that as a root cause for people that have a a desire to be externally validated. So... A lot of bad news so far. How are we doing? It's only 20 below. What else, you know, what else do you want? So let's talk about some good news, right? What are some antidotes? What are some things that we can run towards that keep pride at bay, that keep this need for external validation at bay? Well, I think one of them is really being for others. You know, I'm a, I'm a prophet, as Kevin said, and... Uh, In the field of social psychology, which is a newer field, it's probably 50 to 100 years old, where we make observations, social psychologists make observations about society and individuals and how we're influenced when we're in a group of people, how we're influenced by other uh, cultures, etc. It's a fascinating um, field. Well, one topic that's really there that we talk about a lot is called a self-serving bias. 
and I'm glad nobody in the room has it, I know I for sure I don't, which is self-serving bias is taking uh, responsibility for our successes and blaming others for our failures. You don't have to raise your hand if you got that. But So what is that about for us, right? Why do we have this need to enjoy our successes and blame others for our failures? So I think that's something that Nebuchadnezzar battled, right? Is that self-serving bias? And I think that's always a good check for us as believers. Uh, how am I doing with not walking around, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but also walking around saying, hey, that one's on me, or for that issue, that's on me. And when there's success, good things happening, make sure we have gratitude for it, but also gratefulness to God, gratefulness to other people involved. The other social psych term that I, or concept I want to talk to you about that leans into our first antidote of being for others is what we call pro-social behaviors. And see how you're doing with these, because they're all fun and amazing. The first pro-social behavior we talked about last time is empathy. So when you and I leave the room today, and we're, we're for empathy, right? We're for putting ourselves in other people's shoes. We're for that. It's a pro-social behavior. Another one that, of course, we're taught in the scriptures all the time is forgiveness. Right? When we're in the business of forgiving, not when we're releasing the person that has injured us, when we're in the business of having a, what I call a forgiveness mindset, it really helps us clean house. It really helps us not walk around with a limp of a resentment or thinking we're all that. Right? It's just it's a great pro-social behavior. Who, have I, who do I need to release? Which isn't condoning the behavior. Some of us might be in situations where we're continuing to be in difficult situations. We're not condoning that behavior. We're setting boundaries for that behavior. But we're releasing the injured party so we can move on. And another one that we're hearing all about the last 20 years is gratitude. Right, The gratitude journal. Paul talks about it big time from prison, right, in Philippians 4. He doesn't say, okay, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, think of, or 8 and 9, excuse me, think about all the things that went bad today, blame others, pray against them, and have a good day, <laughs> right? He said what? What did he say? He said, think about whatever is excellent, whatever is true, whatever is of praise. Think on those things and put them into practice. So I think when you and I are pro-social in our behaviors of gratitude, of forgiveness, of empathy, we're moving towards others in a humble, interactive spirit. I, I know we were talking, uh, my wife and I were talking with one of our kids, our kids are 31, 29, 27, and we were talking with one of them the other day about, you know, how does she choose friends, you know, just... Friendships are elusive and fun and amazing and difficult. And uh, she was saying how just they know as much about me as I know about them. Right? So for you and I as a friend today, how are we doing with really walking alongside, knowing others well, and uh, being for that? So there's something about being for others and as a really good antidote for... Because with narcissism, you know, the initial um, 
feeling around narcissism was there's this narcissistic person who looked in the, in the river or looked in the water and all they saw was a picture of themselves. Ugh, right? Kind of in a room full of mirrors. Another antidote, besides being for others, is just kind of doing a check on our dependency on Jesus, right? Is our identity what drives us, what shapes us, what forms us, is our dependency on the fact that we are loved and accepted and approved. Because I do believe when you and I believe that more, when we rest in it, you know when you have those days when you go, oh yeah, I get that. It really helps align our bodies and minds with how we are with others. We're not needing to be right as often. We're not needing just to be liked as often because we know whose we are. It's just a good thing a very proactive thing to be doing that really puts pride in the back seat and puts humility in the front seat. Another one that I'm a big believer about is contentment. Contentment, I think, is huge, isn't it? I mean, staying with that passage in Philippians 4, uh, a couple verses later, 10 and 11, 11 and 12, Paul says, hey, I've learned the secret in life. And of course, I'm just saying, please tell me what it is. <laughs> I would love to know. And he says, you know, whether I'm in plenty or in want, I've learned to be content in all things. That's not complacent. That's not apathetic. That's not arrogant. That's just contentment. And contentment is in is one of the feelings in our, my trusted feeling sheets that I look at every day in my office, and it's in the area of peaceful. So I just invite us in a way of moving away from pride and is moving into contentment and being grateful for the contentment of our story wherever we're at and just breathing that in and knowing that we're for that. The other thing that sometimes we don't talk enough about in the church, and maybe I'm off base on that, is really pursuing confidence. Because confidence of helps us be confident in the fact that we're loved by God. It helps us stay away from arrogance, but it also helps us stay away from insecurity because, as I mentioned, that those folks that grew up remember being bullied and being shamed there's a lot of folks that become like Nebuchadnezzar from a deep place of inadequacy and a deep place of pain, and now they're overcompensating for that and always wanting to be right, always wanting to win. It's never enough because I'm going to make sure I'm never bullied again. So I think when we pursue confidence and knowing that we're loved, and actually seeing ourselves as God sees us, right? Like if you have a friend, you know, one of your best friends, or if you're a parent, your kid, you know, if your best friend or your kid is really, really struggling and they don't like themselves, your heart just breaks, right? And that's God's heart. He breaks for us when, our, when we're broken and we have that insecurity. So we're... The antidotes are being for others, building our dependency on Jesus, pursuing contentment, pursuing confidence. And the last one sounds kind of weird, is being able to laugh at yourself. Well, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. 
And can I just be vulnerable with you for a minute? So, uh, we, we don't have a green thumb in our house. My wife and I don't have green thumbs. So we kill things that come into the house that are anything to do with flowers. So anyway, I thought, you know, I'm just going to order some flowers for my wife for Valentine's Day. Yay. So I look up, you know, you get these things all the time on your phone, don't you? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Love pop. Whoa, what is, oh, love pop. Hey, we deliver to your house. Yay. Easy, good. My counseling practice is so busy, I don't have time. But I want to do a nice thing for my wife, right? So Love Pop has these things that deliver to you. So it was cherry, cherry blossoms. And one of our daughters is in law school in D.C., and they said cherry blossoms in D.C. like go crazy in like April or something. I don't know, something like that. I thought, oh, how'd they get a... They got access to cherry blossoms. It's so good. So I ordered the cherry blossoms to come be delivered. Then I started thinking, gal, I better be home on the day they deliver because it's going to get cold really quick, right? I don't know. Do any of you know where this is going by any chance? All the women do, probably. So it's the day it's supposed to be delivered. And I told my wife, hey, something's coming today. I'll be home at 6, but it'll probably be there before. So when you get the, boop, the doorbell ring from Amazon, please answer right away. Because I don't, I don't want the flowers to get cold, right? So she said, when I got home, she said, oh, only one thing came. It's, just a, a, it's in a flat envelope, but it's from Love Pop. I said, oh, cool. They must have sent a notice that the cherry blossoms are coming tomorrow or something, right? Heads up. So we opened it up. And it was a, like a little paper thing where you go, whoop, and the cherry blossoms pop out. Nice going, Todd. Oof. And so, um, yeah, not good. But I got to say that I laughed at myself and said that was, you know, a typical thing that I do. Intentions were good, but it didn't go well. So how do you do with just laughing at yourself, right? Because we get to. Because the alternative is worse. So when we look back at Nebuchadnezzar and realize we're all vulnerable to kind of emotionally, if you will, counting our money or getting a little bit too full of ourselves and pride's kind of sneaking without even knowing it sometimes, how do we do with pursuing those antidotes, right? Coming towards each other with those great antidotes that we talked about. And that's what we're for. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your love and for your, uh, your service to us and just how you love us so well. Thank you for the advocacy of your Holy Spirit comforting us. Help us to manage this pride that we battle. Help us to pursue humility. Help us to pursue those antidotes we talked about today that keep pride in the back seat and so that our dependency on you can be what we're drawn to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, I pray. Amen.